Good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Thank you. My name is Becky. I'm on staff here at Pleasant Street Church. If you are joining us online, we welcome you as well. We're glad to have you with us. We have a beautiful morning this morning. God is present, and he's blessed us with a beautiful day this morning. If you are visiting with us this morning, we are so glad that you've chosen to make Pleasant Street your worshiping home this morning. And we're going to worship our risen Lord together. We also will have coffee in the fellowship hall afterwards. So be sure to join us for coffee and give us a chance to spend time with you and get to know you. Uh, There's still a few people coming in. But we did learn a new song this morning, so we'll be singing that at the end, and I pray that you'll be blessed by that one. Why don't we quiet our hearts now in a time of preparation? Fill our worship with grace, Lord Jesus Christ that every thought, word, and deed may be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit for our call to worship. O God, you summon the day to dawn. You teach the morning to waken the earth. For you, the valleys shall sing for joy. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. For you, the kings of the earth shall bow. The poor and the persecuted shall shout for joy. Your love and mercy shall last forever. Fresh as the morning, sure as the sunrise. Great is your name. Great is your love. Amen. Let's sing about our great God and his love for us. How great is our God. The splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice. Yeah. 
Friends, you may be seated. It is good to be with all of you together this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. When we come to this place, we get to use language that is good and that is beautiful. We get to use our words to praise the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. And that is a very good thing. But church is also a place where we want to be honest. We are just starting a series on the book of the Psalms together, and over the summer we will be looking at people who have gone before us in the presence of God, trying to be comprehensive, trying to be truthful about all that there is to say about life in this world. And one of those things is that how great you are, O God. But that's not the whole part of the story, is it? And so we also, at the same time, would not be telling the truth if we did not together also acknowledge that there is a whole lot that is wrong with this world. And it goes deeper, because the truth is that there is a whole lot that is wrong in us. Now, in the world around us, there are a lot of different and complicated ways that we are trying to explain what's wrong with the world around us. And sometimes we fight about which one is right. But when we come here, we arrive at something strangely very, very simple. That is that at the core, what is wrong with us and with the world is that before the face of God, we don't know how to say thank you. At the end of the day, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that that is the root of all of our problems. We go through life as spiritual plagiarists, taking credit for things that we have not done. And so we hold things against each other that we have no right to. We take credit for that which we never did ourselves. We blame others when they can't do the same. And so when we come here, we acknowledge the greatness of God and also the depth of our need of him. And that would simply be too much to say if we did not know what he has done about it. And friends, what he has done is set before us a new way to live that can only begin with forgiveness. And so, brothers and sisters, in the presence of God who has given us his son, his best and most precious gift, would you pray with me? Let's say these words together. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us the sins of our youth and the sins of our age, the sins of our soul and the sins of our body, our secret and our whispering sins, our presumptuous and our careless sins, the sins that we have done to please ourselves and the sins that we have done to please others. Together we say, forgive us the sins that we know and the sins that we know not. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, in the power and the presence of God, take a moment to make those words your own. Lord God, as the dust of our excuses settles and our longings and our need of you rises up in a prayer of confession, we ask that you would hear the things that we say together out loud and those we voice to you silently now and that you would forgive all of them through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, I have good news for you, words that come from God. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Together. Glory to God. He is Christ. We are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Friends, let's sing this good news together. Would you...
so good to us. He brings that peace. We are forgiven. We are saved. 
right? We sang those words, I'm blessed, I'm called, I'm healed, I am whole. It's that peace that he gives us, and we can share that with each other. So friends, the peace of Christ be with you. Let's share that peace with each other. you bow your heads with me? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of year. Thank you that we could have graduations and celebrations. Kids could come home for the summer. Teachers could get a well-deserved rest. Thank you for the sunshine, the warm air, all the beauty that is around. Thank you that it seems that we're getting ahead of this virus and that we can come back to some semblance of normal life and that we can look to you again and thank you for the guidance and strength that you've given us. Be with this church and the congregation, all the families that it represents. Please encourage those of us that are still not together that we do get together and that we express and can enjoy the community in which you've given us. Be with our pastor today as he delivers your word. Be with all those involved in the service. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the, Lord, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The Christian life is often described as a journey, a movement from one thing to another thing. And as though in the same way we were going to give directions to anyone in our world, we would use words to tell them what to look for as they go ahead. We too need words, direction, and guidance to make sense of what we experience in our spiritual terrain, in our journey in life with God. All of us together have been through quite a journey in the last year and a half. My sense is that there's a lot to say. And though many things are in the rearview mirror, there's still a lot behind us that we're trying to make sense of. And so this summer, we turn to the Psalms for the language of those who have walked before us in the journey of faith. We do so in the hope that it will give us names for the things that we carry within us. For in the wisdom of the Christian story, it is in naming our life before God that we grow. And so friends, would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have been immeasurably good to us, O God. More good to us than we even realize. As we begin to look at those who have gone before us, at what it is like to be in a journey with you, we ask, O God, that you would come in the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to connect 
these words in Scripture to the lives that we live so that we might have names. And in naming our lives, find that you are there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Clint Eastwood film from a number of years ago, Gran Torino, opens on an old stone church in a small town neighborhood that is changing. The film centers on an aging Korean war veteran named Walt Kowalski. We first meet Walt in this old stone church in the neighborhood where he has lived all of his adult life that is changing. It's his wife's funeral. While friends and families gather and are seated in the pews, organ prelude music plays in the background, but Walt stands apart from everyone else next to the casket as though on duty. He stands almost at attention, shoulders square, a seemingly permanent scowl on his face. When an old friend rises from the pew and walks to Walt to express his condolences, Walt says, thanks for coming, Al, through gritted teeth. Walt strikes us as the kind of guy who does not make well visits to the doctor or tolerate small talk. In fact, he seems like the kind of man who has known and experienced many, many, many hard things in his life. We wonder if perhaps this funeral is not the only time that Walt stands at a distance from those who love him. One of Walt's adult sons says as much from his pew. He whispers to his brother, there's nothing that anyone can do that won't disappoint the old man. The organ prelude ends and Walt sits down and a priest in a cream-colored alb takes to the pulpit. His face is clean, his hair is youthful and short, his name is Father Janovich, but he looks like he's about 22. In contrast to Walt, the weathered man who's seen too much, Father Janovich looks as though he could not possibly know what he's talking about. Janovich begins his homily on death. Death is bittersweet, he says, says the father with the baby face. Bitter in the parting, sweet in the salvation. And it might be true, but it sounds a bit like an aphorism. It sounds trite. In fact, Walt's permanent scowl turns to a snarl, and he begins to growl loud enough for everyone to hear around him. Walt doesn't believe him. And we're not sure that we do either. See, as the film goes on, if, if you've seen it, you'll know that it develops this relationship between the youthful priest and the jaded old man who's just seen too much in life. And as we watch them interact with each other in the film, it kind of begins to raise a question that we might have too. How do we learn to speak the faith we hold in here in a way that is full of the things we experience out there? How do we learn to speak life-giving and verdant words that ring true? And at the same time, how do we go through life keeping our hope in a world full of the scorching heat of life that can be very, very hard? Have you ever wondered why it is that two different people could tell you the same true thing, but you only believe one of them? Sometimes a statement of faith can feel like an aphorism. Clever, but as empty as chaff on the wind. And sometimes the same statement can feel so heavy, so solid, that it seems to anchor you to the very ground beneath you. What is that? Charles Spurgeon was an English preacher who lived in the 19th century. He was a very famous Baptist preacher in London. 
One time, he said that our prayers, they're not actually measured by length, but by weight. He said prayer is not measured by the number of words that we use or the number of syllables in the words that we use. Prayer is measured by the gravity in what we're saying. Friends, you can read a dictionary for long words, and there's a lot in there, and you can string lots of long sentences together, but you can't fake gravity. In a world of weightless words that float around, gravity is what we all actually want. Friends, that is why we are reading the book of Psalms this summer. We're not going to read all of them, don't worry. But we're going to read several. And today, Psalm 1 is the one that greets us at the door on the way into this book. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk with the wicked. Well, now that sounds a little less like a prayer and a little more like a proverb, doesn't it? In one sense, Psalm 1 isn't actually a prayer at all. It's more like a prelude to prayer. Psalm 1 stands at the door and it gets us ready to pray. And it does so by setting before us this, this image of a tree that is planted by a stream of water, a, a tree that is able to bear fruit even when fruit-bearing means that that happens after the rains have gone away for the year. A, a tree with leaves that don't wither, even when there's a drought and the scorching noonday sun is upon it. It's an image of a life of substance. A life rooted in the rich waters of God's good words. A life that is rooted deeply and profoundly in something that abides. Look around you for a minute with me. Not literally, but metaphorically. Look around. What do you hear? All the time, people are talking. All around us, everyone is saying something. But what we really want is to be the kind of people who have something to say. Something that can cut right through all of the chatter and the chaff. Years ago, I knew this man named Fred. Fred told me one time that for some reason, people would often come to him with questions and crises that they had in their life. Now, the thing that you have to know about Fred is that he's not a therapist. Uh, he's not a doctor. He is not a philosopher. Fred is a software engineer. Code is his happy place. Not necessarily people. And yet, for some reason, people come to him. One time it happened to him, he was at a trade show. He just sat down to have a hamburger, and about halfway into his lunch, a woman, a stranger, came, and she said, do you mind if I sit down and join you? No, he said, but I'm just having a quick sandwich. It doesn't take a guy very long to eat a burger. It was quiet for a few moments, and then she said, you know, I'm sorry, uh, you're a guy. Do you, do you mind if I ask you something? I can't promise you an answer, he said, but you can ask it. I'm thinking about divorcing my husband, she said. And a long story began. Fred would say, this happens all the time. A while back, she'd had cancer, and she told him that her husband stuck by her every single day. He was faithful to her through the whole painful process. She recovered, but now her husband is sick. And it's not nearly as severe as cancer. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But she's actually... Well, she's a little bit tired of dealing with him, you know? It's difficult. She's been getting a lot of advice about how she should really be able to live her own life. And she says, I know, I know how it must sound, but, but as terrible as it sounds, I, I just, I don't want to deal with it anymore. I, what, what do you think I should do? Fred didn't say anything for a long time. And then he asked a question. What do you think God wants you to do? I don't mean what you think or what anyone else thinks, 
But what does God want you to do? She said, I don't like that question very much. Fred said, that's the one you need to answer. In a world where everybody is giving advice at 140 characters or less, we don't want to actually be the kind of people who are quoting bumper stickers. Not really. We want to have something to say to God and to each other. That is the definition of a wise, abiding life according to Psalm 1. It is the wicked who wither. Why? Because they have nothing to say. We want to be people of substance who use words that matter. And Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who lives like a tree planted by the deep deep waters of God's good words, and we want that kind of life. Life by a stream in a world where rain can be fickle. We want a life that is going somewhere because all around us we see people standing still doing the same thing over and over again. We want the kind of life that can endure the heat of pain, sorrow, doubt, and not wither. We want a life that lasts in a world where everything around us eventually just burns up like chaff. In other words, we want what Psalm 1 has already told us we want. We want a life rooted by the life-giving streams of God. We want a life that moves with God. So Psalm 1 stands at the front door of a book of weighty prayers and it says, read these Meditate on these, for through these prayers we find the God who can bring water out of a rock. Who can make it rain bread in the middle of the desert. Who can lead his people through every desert of this world because he knows the way to life. Psalm 1 does not tell us that the road of the Christian life is easy. It does not promise that there will be abundant answered prayers and financial blessings. The road to life with God is bumpy. At times it's arid and dry. At times it will not always be clear which is the road to life and which is the road to death. Sometimes it is hard to tell the difference between the company of fools and the company of the righteous. And there are times when it is the wicked and godless who will seem to prosper. And all along the way, this world will promise satisfaction. But Psalm 1 tells us, remember, it's all chaff. It burns up and it turns to nothing. And so we are left asking, how then can we know the difference? What about when it's hard to know the difference between the way of life and the way to destruction? Psalm says there's only one way to tell. The Lord is on the road to life. The Lord watches over the righteous on their way, whatever way that is. Actually, more to the point, the road is only the road to life because the Lord is there. And so blessed is the one who walks with God in this world. For the one who walks with God walks with the one who knows how to find streams. Blessed is the one who walks with God because God is the one who knows how to make it rain bread. Blessed is the one who walks with God for whatever dead end they were on with God becomes the road to life. Blessed is the one who walks with God for they have found that that is what God came to do. To walk with us. At the end of Luke's gospel, two of Jesus' disciples are walking on the road seven miles from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the place where Jesus, their Lord and friend, has just been crucified. And along the way, they are desperately trying to make sense of all of these things that do not make any sense at all. They are trying to make sense of the saddest 
and most confusing story that they have ever been witness to. How Jesus, their Lord, could have died, even though he spent all of his time healing the lame. How Jesus could have been killed, even though he welcomed outcasts and sinners. And now they can't even find his body. And Luke tells us that Jesus appears on the road and walks with them, but they do not know that it is Jesus. Not at first. What does Jesus do? He does not say, Hello, it's me. He walks and he tells them the story of Genesis all the way through the Psalms, through the prophets. And he shows them that the golden thread between all of it is that it's about him. In their journey from death to life, Jesus shows up and he shows them how he has fulfilled all of the longings that are named in Scripture. Psalm 1 tells us that life with God is a journey through all kinds of terrain. It's a journey from death to life, but we do not walk it alone. We walk it with the prayers of those who have gone before us in these psalms. We walk with these words because in these words, people tell us that I found God there. Through them, we meet the things that we need to say. Things like, Show me the way to life, O God, because I do not always know the difference between the way to death and the way to life. Show me, O God, what matters and what lasts because everything seems to blow away. And finding what it is that we really want to say, we meet the one who satisfies those longings, the living Christ who was cut off from God, a stump, so that we might be planted in his place. The one who cried out from the cross, I thirst, so that we might know what it is to have streams of living water welling up inside of us. Friends, the Psalms are not just words to meditate on, they are also words to say to God when we have been found. In that way, Psalm 1 is not just a preface to prayer, but it is a prayer. For it expresses what it is like when we have met the God who satisfies all our longings. When we have discovered the blessedness of what it is to be found by him. Psalm 1 stands at the door because it gives us words to say for how life with God begins. For some of us, it started long before we could even remember when church was a warm place among friends. When our parents loved us and nurtured us in this faith, when our life with God started like that, when the path between life and death seemed far apart, and the Bible was clear and the way was too, and God is the one who set us on this path before we even knew it and taught us how to walk in it. Blessed are we. For others of us, though, who didn't grow up in a situation like that, at some point, God found us on our own dead end. Jesus found us and we were hopelessly lost, but when we saw him finding us in our dead end, when we saw him coming to us there, when we understood what he did in order to be there, something clicked and the Bible became real. And, well, no, it's not like we had all of the answers, but we knew that God was real and alive and we were loved and suddenly life made sense. In those moments, Psalm 1 is not just a prelude. It is a prayer that tells us you can talk to God about that. Happy am I, O God, for you rescued me from the path to destruction. I walked in the ways of this world. I stood among those who mocked you. But now I delight in your word, for through it you have told me just how far you went to rescue me. You, O oh God, 
have showed me the path to life and set me on it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes we forget, oh God, that life with you begins with things being set right. Set right between you and between us. Set right on a path that, despite all its twists and turns, really does lead to more life. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to speak the words of Psalm 1. If not as a prayer, then as a promise. A promise that you will be the one who doesn't forget how to get from death to life. That you will be the one to lead us into streams of living water. That you will be the one to make our lives secure when everything around us is coming apart. For you are on this path. And we are on it because you put us there. So we pray this in your name. Amen. During the summer, as we have a chance to meditate and savor the scriptures together, we're also creating a new, uh, or re-instituting an opportunity for our third or through fifth graders to do the same uh, through ECHO and through our ECHO program. So I want to highlight for you, for, for those of us who are older, uh, I'm going to be trying to include some sermon quotes and questions for all of us to take these things home and wonder in our own life with God what they mean for us. And I'll let Kate introduce to us what we'll be doing for our younger folks. Good morning. So last week, among other things, we celebrated our rising third graders. They received a Bible, and they were invited uh, to join us in communion for the first time. And this week, they are invited to join us for Echo for the first time. So at this time, I'll ask all our third through fifth graders to come and join me up here. So that includes our incoming third graders and any outgoing fifth graders. I know we have at least two. Come on up, guys. Come on, Dawson. Come on, Ben. And I'm not sure if I spotted anybody else. <laughs> so while they're, while they're making their way up here, I would like to share with all of you a little bit about Echo so that you know what we are doing. Our ECHO goals are to help kids authentically participate in the service, to help kids focus on reflecting what they noticed in the service, and to help kids foster a sense of belonging and relationship with the elders. So this is not a sermon recap, um, but we will pray, we will get to know each other, and we will share what we noticed during the service. And so I invite you, congregation, um, people of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. So this is the time we would usually take our offering. So today we invite you to put an offering in the box just outside the sanctuary on your way out or drop it off in our office during the week or you can even um, give online. And today's second offering is for Whitensville Christian School. Having had a chance to respond to God together through our offering, would you please rise the God who has gathered us here together is the same God who sends us out with new eyes, assuming, believing, hoping that we will find him there. And so friends, you go blessed. Please receive it. As you leave this place today, may God's love sustain you, and may you love those who surround you. May God's spirit empower you, and may you empower all those you meet. May God's joy fill your hearts, and may this joy overflow to the ends of the earth for God's glory now and forever. Amen. And friends, receive God's blessing.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace. Amen. Let's go singing. Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in His grace.